eyes from you. You were bleeding, they were weeping. Faithful sisters, they had followed you. They did not understand, they could not see. Today I want you to turn your Bible to the little book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, if you would please. Uh, If you have a Bible like mine, it will be on page 1060. If it's not, you do not use a Schofield Bible, turn to the index. It'll tell you what page it's on, all right? I want to... uh, 
to interest you in the book of Mark for the next few weeks. Sunday morning, I'm going to begin a series of messages on the book of Mark. Mark presents our Lord as the perfect servant. This morning before we came out, the staff always comes back and and we have prayer in the office before we come out. And I have to continually uh, uh, remind Brother Pickett that it's about being a servant, not a celebrity. <laughs> and I have been reminding him for 26 years and he still hasn't got it on. <laughs> but I thought it would be good for our church to learn the way up spiritually is down. And I want you to be introduced to uh, the philosophy of servant leadership. Our Lord is a perfect example of that. And so I thought it would be good for us throughout these remaining uh, few weeks, months, the year to dive deeply into the book of Mark. Let me read you the first verse of the book of Mark, and then we'll go to the key verse in the book of Mark. If you want to find the key words or key word in the book of Mark, it's immediately or straightway. Mark is unlike the other three gospels in that Mark is a book of activity. I like it because few adjectives, a lot of action. Mark goes from one situation to another quickly because he did not get all logged up in detail, if you please. Read it, if you would, these next few weeks as we go into the book of Mark. Notice verse 1 of the book of Mark, chapter 1. The beginning... Of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Man, that is a mouthful. The beginning, two other books has that very same phrase. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God. You don't believe that, you don't believe anything else. God does not try to prove to you that he exists. All you've got to do is look around. All you've got to do is just experience. Just breathe. And uh, you realize that God is. If you're here today, I want you to know God is. And God loves you just like you are. But two other books in the beginning. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. So Mark starts in the beginning, not with creation and not with Christmas time, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That one verse interests me enough to I want to read the rest of it. The Holy Spirit put it like that so you'd want to read the rest of it. Today we're not going to spend much time, but let me ask you the question. Who is Mark? 
a little bit about the author. It is possible that Jesus Christ, or Mark, may not have ever seen or heard the Lord Jesus speak. He is younger than all the other authors of the Gospels. But unlike the others, John Mark did not receive the message that he penned down directly from Jesus. He did not visibly or audibly or experientially get his book like John who walked with Jesus, like Peter who walked with Jesus, like Matthew and Mark, like Matthew and Luke who walked with Mark was just a young man. Possibly he could have seen Jesus because there was a young man in the garden, you remember, when Judas had betrayed our Lord. There was a young man in the garden following. And the Bible said that they tried to grab him or tried to uh, uh, retain him and he quickly moved away and he left his garment and left naked. Many commentators believe that was John Mark. I do not know. But most of John Mark's writings is what he heard and experienced at the feet of the apostle Peter. Peter says in 1 Peter, Marcus, my son. If not physically a son, most, most likely and most certainly a spiritual son of Peter. John Mark received most of the book, most of what is penned down. He heard and witnessed as a great expounder of the truth, Peter preached the gospel. Mark is a member of a wealthy family. You say, how do you know that? Well, if you read your Bible, Mark 14, his house is big enough to have church in it. Mary, one of the Marys, mentioned in the Bible is John Mark's mother. Barnabas, the man who sold his land and gave and laid at the apostles' feet, is his uncle. Mark traveled with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. Mark became very fearful and turned back. That's why Paul would not take him on the second journey because he thought he was a quitter. And great contention rose between two great missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, his nephew. Paul said, not on your life. He left the first time he went back. He's a quitter. But some two decades later, we read Paul when he wrote, bring John Mark because he's profitably. Aren't you glad God is a God of second chances? What do you think maybe might have changed John, I mean Paul's attitude about Mark? Do you think maybe it's possible Barnabas one day was talking to Paul and 
after they'd got all the problems messed up and fixed up. And maybe Barnabas said to Paul, Paul, I've got something I'd like for you to read. I mean, Paul, you're the theologian. You're, you're, you're the great author, author of about 14 books in the Bible, I think. And so Paul one day is sitting there and Barnabas says to Paul, Paul, I've got something I'd like for you to read. And Paul begins to read. And Paul says, man, Peter has sure done a good job on this book. He read it through. And Paul said, wow, that is so good. That that could even be included in the canon of the scriptures. (laughs) And Paul says, Barnabas, who wrote it? Who wrote it? How would you like to see the look on Paul's face when he said a quitter, a turner backer, a human being like all of us here today? John Mark wrote that book. <gasps> John Mark? Oh, oh you're pulling my leg. No, you ain't got no leg to pull. And that is the history of the book of Mark. But before we, boy, sure it's quiet in here. (laughs) Now, here's the thing, folks. When it's that quiet, if you're snoring, (laughs) it's noticeable. (laughs) So now if you're going to sleep, wait till we get a little noisy, okay? But I thought before we dig into the depth of the book and begin to see as part as Mark begins to present our Lord as the perfect servant. I thought it might be good to just start with the theme verse of all the book. That would be Mark chapter number 10 and verse 45. And we preach today out of this theme. Because I believe if we're going to get to the heart of the matter, we need to know what is the heart of the matter. I am sick up to here with dog eat dog. Climb your way to the top. Step on everybody you can. Not only in, uh, in society, but in the church. I want you to know there is no big dogs and little dogs around here, buddy. We're just all sinners saved by grace. And it don't make any difference what you've got in your wallet. Well, after the offering. (laughs) It makes no difference what kind of car you pull in our parking lot with. We've even got a hitch rack for your donkeys if that's all you got back in the back. And you walk in this auditorium, I want you to know you're somebody. You are a sinner saved by grace. You can sit by anybody and you don't have to feel inferior and please don't feel superior to anybody. It's about being a servant not a celebrity. Amen. 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 
Now, if you're living Texas and don't own a pickup truck, you're going to fill out a place. <laughs> amen and amen, right? I don't know how anybody gets out of a car gracefully. I mean, I'm too old to crawl. I need something I can just open my door and fall out of. Let me read you up. Let me read you some. If you're turning your Bible now, and, and we're not in any hurry. We're just going to have a good time. We're going to enjoy it. We're going to learn something. If you don't learn something, you don't get something, uh, you know, there ain't no use of coming. Notice now, uh, let me read for you in Mark chapter 10. I want to show you something now, please. And you say, well, preacher, you need to hurry. Uh, yeah, I'm hungry. Well, we'll stop for a minute and have an intercession. We got hot dogs and popcorn out in the best view and they're cheap. Verse 32. Look at this now. Look at verse 32. Follow along with me now. You got your Bible? Man, you, you ought to bring your Bible to church now. And the Bible then said, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. You always go up when you go to the city of God. God planned it that way. Jerusalem is on the highest hill, on the highest ridge, on the highest mountains there between the Great Sea and the Jordan River. And there it is, sparkling high in the mountain. And when you go to Jerusalem, you always go up. By the way, when you're trying to get right with God, you always go up. When you're traveling toward the city of God, you're always going up. So went up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve. Now you know who's with them. He took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. Saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and they shall scourge him, and they shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Wow. I don't know about you, but I think maybe I would be sensitive, spiritual enough to really let that sink down inside of me before I developed hoof and mouth disease. Open mouth, insert foot. But now notice what the disciples were really interested in. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Right on the tail of our Lord, for the third time, telling these twelve disciples about Calvary. They're worried about what kind of house, what kind of yard, what kind of car, and what kind of junk, and what kind of power, and what kind of position is he going to give them? 
Folk hadn't changed much, have they? Wow. Please allow me to read on. And the Bible says, And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? Well, Lord, I'd like to have a new Cadillac. Maybe one of them cars with a turkey on the hood. But I don't want the pavements. I won't won't just give it to me. Well, and they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand, the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And they said unto him, we can. And Jesus said unto them, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall be ye baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. Already taken care of, guys. You didn't surprise me, our God the Father, our God the Holy Spirit. All that's already taken care of. Are you glad all your future's already taken care of? Now let me tell you something. If you believe your future's already taken care of, all in this life that really matters is to find out what that is. And to miss that at your funeral and at the cemetery, my sermon title will be for those who do not find what God wants them to do. My sermon title will be Here Lies a Mistake. Your cars won't matter. Your prestige will not matter. Your financial accomplishments will not matter. All that matters is what does God have planned for you? And you find out what that is and do it immediately. Somebody said, I didn't come for that. Well, if you think you are not getting what you paid for in the offering, take it up with the Lord. Are you ready? Verse 41, and when the ten heard it, the ten heard about the two wanting positions of priority, they began to be much displeased with James and John. And Jesus called them to him 
as to him and said unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But not so, but but so shall it not be among you. Are you ready? For whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man, key verse, for even the Son of Man, what the book is all about, for even the Son of Man is come not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Can I please suggest to you that Jesus Christ is our perfect servant, our perfect example, if you please. Paul, I mean, Mark puts into writing what Paul had in his heart when he said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Who been in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Who being God himself, was not clinging to that Godhood, was not, not hanging on. But he did not think it robbery to give all of that up. But he made himself of no reputation. And took upon himself the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. Being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. Became a servant. Let me ask you a question, and I'm about done with the question. What really matters to you and to me? You say, preacher, I'm an entrepreneur. Well, now I'll preach about that one of these days and I'll learn to spell it. Just with the breath of God, you could be an ex-entrepreneur. What really matters to you? What will matter to you after you're dead and gone? You say, we'll let that, we'll let that take care of yourself. No, no, you'll leave kids and you'll leave grandkids and you'll leave a legacy. Really, what matters to you? The theme of our messages in the book of Mark is to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. We quote Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good to them that love God. I did not say they felt good, but they just worked good. Uh, my daddy in his triple barrel razor strap was 
Didn't feel good, but it was for my good. Uh, you know, we can't whip kids anymore. What we really need to do is whip parents. It'd be a lot easier to educate the kids if we could just educate the parents. You, you understand what I'm talking about? Now, all things don't feel good, but the Bible said all things work together for good to them that love God. Those that are called according to His purpose. Everybody know that verse. You ever read verse 29? For him, for them he did foreknow. He predestined. Listen. To be conformed to the image of his dear son. If you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to learn. It's about service and not being a celebrity. It's not the suits we wear. It's not the clothes we manage to hang about our sinful body. It's about what we're on the inside. What really matters today is not... How up the ladder we go. It's how high the ladder we exalt the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you ever watched the movie Pearl Harbor. I don't know if you know that. Or ever, ever, anybody watch that movie Pearl Harbor? Hope you didn't because that way I, if I get the names wrong you won't see. Yeah, yeah. They never listen to my stories or illustrations. They just try to pick it apart and say hey, I wonder if he is there or not. I was not at Pearl Harbor, just to help you a little bit. But I did see the movie Pearl Harbor. You say, where did you see it? That's my business. How much popcorn did you eat? That's none of your business. How much was it? Too much. But I'll tell you one thing. I haven't bought one of them 26-mile-long hot dogs at Ranger Stadium. And some of you have. In the movie, Pearl Harbor, the story is about two friends. And I guess you remember them about Rafe and Danny. And uh, they survived the attack on Pearl Harbor. And, and after that, immediately they entered into the war. They signed up. And in training became uh, Rafe McCauley as one of the America's top fighter pilots. You know how America is. She's always very, very, uh, 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 the word would be uh, very, very careful in entering into a, uh, a conflict. And so while America was, was uh, kind of holding back to enter the war, Rafe McCurley went and uh, joined the, uh, the English air, airman and became a Spitfire pilot. While America refrained from entering the great fight, he just wanted to, to, to get, get rid of all the Germans he could. So he joined and went and offered his services to the English. And, and as he arrived on the, uh, to, the, to his squadron, the squadron uh, commander was showing him the planes. And while he was showing him those spitfires, the announcement came to the commander that two more had been shot down just the day before. And as he walked by looking at the planes, bullet-ridden and, and uh, just in a terrible mess, the commander turns to Rafe McCauley and asks him, Are all Yanks as anxious as you are to kill themselves? Without hesitation, 
He said, sir, I'm not anxious to die. I'm anxious to matter. I am anxious to matter. Do you matter? If you were to be taken out today, would God's work suffer at all? Could I speak with you just a minute on a life that matters? A life that matters. I think a life that matters demands a willingness on our part. Number one, to be like Jesus, we must be willing to sacrifice. Secondly, to be like Jesus, to have a life that matters, we must be willing to suffer. For him. You're going to suffer anyhow. If there's anybody here today not saved. I'll guarantee you suffer as much as I am. You're just suffering for the wrong reason. You know. You say. Well I'm suffering because I'm married. Amen. A man that gets married. Needs to tear the page that says liberty out of the dictionary. <laughs> the man who stands before a preacher and says, I do, cancels everything about freedom. I do means I surrender. I do really means I give up. I do says here, you can have this right now. Praise God. You are going to suffer. Just you need to realize you need to be suffering for the right reason. A willingness to sacrifice. A willingness to suffer. A willingness to submit. A willingness to serve. Look first now at the willingness to sacrifice. You'll find it. In verse number, uh, uh, maybe if we look just a little bit in, in, in verse number 35 through 37. Look at this. Now here, let me give you the interpretation and then the application. Here it is. The disciples come to Jesus, two of them. And they say to him this in verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him saying, Master, we would... That thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Notice the pronouns there. Us, we, us, we, 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 us. Lord, bless us. Today, bless us. We need this today. Lord, forget about all them other folk. Our house. Our car. Our kids. Us. Is anybody here? Well, you left your amens at home. Is there anybody here? Us, we, want, us. Do you know what? If you're going to live a life that matters, you're going to have to forget all about us and we and I and ours and mine. 
Amen, preacher. Yes, that's right. I don't mean you got to hang on a cross. I don't need. I don't mean you need to charge hell with a, uh, you know, with a, 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 a maybe a, a noodle and beat the devil to death with all the spaghetti you can find. I don't mean, bless God, you've got to quit listening to you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucy. I don't mean you've got to quit reminding yourself that she got the gold mine and you got. I'm just saying, if you're going to live a life that matters, you're going to have to take yourself out of the picture completely. See, Jesus did not reprimand these guys for being ambitious. Jesus did not criticize these guys for wanting to go to the top. Hey, there's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have things. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus said, you guys have just got to learn. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All this stuff be given to you. You've got to get off the throne. He said, no, I don't. No, I do not. Then you're going to live a life that absolutely does not matter to anybody but you. I mean, you're it, buddy. And when you die, if you're a member of this church, I'll have to lie to get the eulogy. I won't lie, but your parent, your, your kinfolk get mad at me because I won't lie. Well, here lies a godly man who served God once a month. How many people do you know that at their death, we got to come up with all of these fancy eulogies that's not significant at all. Why? You lived a life that just does not matter because your life was all about you. These guys was using the pronoun we and us. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, that's not what it's all about. Unless we are willing to forfeit, forfeit our agendas, maybe sometimes even our dreams, our wishes, our desires. Preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. On the news a few, few months, years ago, I was introduced for the very first time a fellow by the name of Pat Tillman. I'm sure that many of you who are athletically turned might remember Pat Tillman. He, like many of you, loved football. Unlike most of the players on the Cowboys. But he not only loved football, Pat Tillman loved his country. And the freedom that is offered to us in America. When Pat Tillman arrived at the Arizona State 
University as a freshman, 1994, he received the school's very last football scholarship that year. Not the first, not the middle, but the last. Initially, what that really means was he got a spot on the end of the bench on the football team. Kind of like I asked Andrew if he was going to play basketball in college. And he gave me an astounding answer. He said, Daddy, I am not going to run that much to sit on the bench. Pat Tillman was supposed to be the last man on the bench at Arizona State University. But by the time he graduated summa cum laude, he was the best player on the team. Tillman was named Pac-10 or Pac-12 Conference Defensive Player of the Year. 5'11", 200 pounds. It didn't bother him that he was 226 pick out of 240 people to be picked for the National Football League. 226 out of 241. That didn't bother him. And five months later, he became in Arizona's starting strong safety. In his third season, Pat set a franchise record of 224 tackles, 5'11", 200 pounds. Record tackles. The Super Bowl champs of that time offered him $9 million to play football for the world champions. And he said, no, I'm going to be faithful to the team that drafted me and stayed in Arizona. I'm just talking a little bit. After the terrorist attack of September 11, 2001, the 25-year-old superstar began to evaluate in his life what really matters. Pat announced his decision that he was going to leave the team and turn down $2.6 million contract and joined the army for $18,000 a year. He became an army ranger, sent to the Persian Gulf, and he went from earning millions of dollars a year to $18,000 a year. On April 22, 2004, Pat Tillman died while fighting for our freedom. According to the former Cardinals head coach, David 
McGinnis, Pat Tillman, represented all that was good in sports. And he knew his purpose in life and proudly walked away from a career in football to a greater calling. Is there anything that you need to walk away from for your life to really matter? You say, but preacher, that, you don't realize the sacrifice. You making nine million? Preacher, you don't understand. I got a job. No, no, you don't understand. God's got an eternal purpose. And if you don't get in on that, we can write on your tombstone. Here lies a mistake. You say, me? Yes, you. Regardless who you are, God's already got a plan. And you are included. Might take some sacrifice. It might take some suffering. Jesus, when he talked to those guys, he talked about a cup of suffering. Notice verse 38 and 39, I don't have time. A cup of suffering. Suffering. You see, verse 35 through 37 kind of speaks to my heart that these two fellows wanted to live a life that mattered. They did not just want to be counted just another one of the crowd. They, they wanted to achieve. They wanted to do. They wanted to be what God would have them to be. But Jesus said, oh, wait, 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 wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. I don't want to defuse you. I don't want to demotivate you. I don't want to, uh, I don't want you to slow you down. I just need to redirect you. And those verses that I just mentioned, you can read them. Now he talks about a cup of suffering, a baptism. Jesus said, I do not want to slow you down. I just need to redirect you. See, Peter and John, I mean, James and John thought if they got to the top, they would really matter. They could do something really significant for God. And Jesus said, whoa, thank God you want to be something. Let me kind of redirect you. Have you counted, James, John, have you really counted the cost? To live in a life that matters. Well, what do you mean, Lord? Well, if you want, if you want to live a life that really matters, Garrett, it ain't going to be all sunshine and Milky Ways and strawberry malts. I got a cup I want to show you, Jesus said. And I got a baptism. Now, I'm going to drink the cup just in a few days. I told you about that in the early verses. I'm, I'm going to drink the cup, which is symbolic in the Old Testament of divine judgment. The book of Psalms, the book of Isaiah, the book of Ezekiel talks about a cup, dredges of the cup. And the cup is significant of divine judgment. Now, James and John, I'm going to drink of that cup. Now, they're going to spit on me. They're going to ridicule me. They're going to beat me. They're going to hang me on a cross. I'm going to drink the cup. Can you drink that cup? You want to be great? You want a life that really counts? Can you drink that cup? 
I'm going to be baptized in just a few days now. I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to be utterly submerged. I'm going to be actually the waters of God's judgment. is going to overflood me and I'm going to be on the cross. And I'm going to cry out, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? You ready for this? Everybody wants to be at the top, but they want to be born up there. Everybody wants good kids. They just won't pay the price for raising good kids. And raising good kids costs money. Did you have kids thinking it's going to support you? As Gomer Powell would say, surprise, surprise, surprise. You want good kids? You want godly kids? Respectful kids? God honoring kids, kids that will carry on the gospel when we're gone, they don't come cheap. It's not easy. But until you've been baptized in a cup of teenagers, you don't know what living is. Amen, Jim. So you want to be great. You want a life that counts without sacrifice, of course, and without suffering. No way. No way. I really want to live a life that matters. I'd like to leave a legacy of men and women, boys and girls, that genuinely loves the Lord. Genuinely wants to carry on the old gospel story. I'm not the smartest man in the world, but I do realize if you live a life that matters, there'll be sacrifice involved. There'll be suffering involved. There'll have to be submission involved. And there most certainly should be suffering involved. Let me talk to you about sacrifice just a minute. The price of greatness is suffering for Christ. And the price of a life that matters is a life of suffering. Adoram Judson was one of the first Baptist missionaries ever to be sent, went to Burma in 1812 with his new bride. A new little baby was born to them there, and I can understand how mothers think that their babies are pretty. I've never seen a pretty baby until yesterday. <laughs> when Andrew was born, when David was born, I said to myself, dear God, please put them back. (laughs) Just a few months after being on the mission field, 1812, Adoram Judson's baby was born. Eight months later, a cholera attack. The baby died. 
It was seven years before he ever had his first convert. Soon after, they imprisoned Judson and subjected him to incredible mistreatment for 21 months in prison. He bore scars of that mistreatment for the rest of his life. Upon being released, he did not return home. He asked permission from another magistrate or the prince in Burma to allow him to preach the gospel in another providence. Bent over, grown, sick. The magistrate said, not on your life. My people are too smart to embrace what you missionaries are preaching. The reason I'm not allowing you to go is because they'll see the scars on your body and turn to your religion. You got any scars? You cannot live a life that matters without their suffering. Don't run from suffering. If your furnace gets too hot, don't forget the one who's with you has the image of the Son of God. If the lions begin to nap at your heels, don't forget Daniel. Spend a good night's rest in the lion's den. What really matters? Being a celebrity or being a servant? Our desire ought to be is to be like him. 